would please remain standing for the reading of God's word. God and Father, we ask you that you would bless your word this morning. Lord, that we would be reproved in its light. Lord, we love you. We ask you for this blessing in the name of Jesus. Amen. The sermon text this morning is from Revelation chapter 21, starting in verse 9. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance, like a most rare jewel, like jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall and 12 gates, and at the 12 gates, 12 angels, and on the gates, the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. On the east three gates, and on the north three gates, on the south three gates, and on the west three gates. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and walls. The city lies four square, its length the same as its width. And he measured the city with his rod, 12,000 stadia. Its length and width and height are equal. He also measured its wall, 144 cubits, by human measurement which is also an angel's measurement. The wall was built of jasper, while the city was pure gold like clear glass. The foundation of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was jasper, and the second sapphire, the third agate, and the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, and the eighth beryl the ninth topaz, the tenth uh, cryopraise, the eleventh uh, jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls. Each of the gates were made of a single pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. There will br- uh, they will bring into the glory uh, into it the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. So it's wonderful to see those of you who made it this morning. Uh, I, I trust that many of us are actually uh, dressed in some sort of like uh, Christmas apparel, something that we got uh, over the last few days and everything is present. Uh, this shirt is new. Uh, if you could see my socks, they are new. They were given to me by my wife. Uh, they actually say trophy husband on them and have like a little trophy which I don't appreciate that kind of laughter. Uh, My wife similarly giggled when she gave them to me, so I'm not totally sure how to take them, but they are a treasured possession now, and I will at least live in light of this new apparel that I have. 
But I hope that you guys have uh, really good traditions that you've set up in your family. I think that traditions are actually a really valuable and good thing because they just help us recite truth to ourselves. They help us build a culture in our families. Uh, One of the things that we do at the Taylor household is that Sawyer and I uh, started uh, many years ago when my son could not understand what we were saying, writing love notes to them. Uh, We keep those love notes and uh, every, uh, every Christmas we write them on Christmas Eve. We put them in stockings and when we read them on Sunday mornings and uh, uh, sorry on uh, Christmas mornings and what they help us do is express our love for them on a regular basis uh, mark a few happenings or themes from the year uh, and even give a few spiritual lessons kind of along the way that we can memorialize in these old letters after reading mine to my daughter yesterday um, Mine was about uh, the values of love and contentment, specifically in God. Um, my daughter asked me, uh, how do you, I, I think that I know that I love God, but how, how can I know? How can I know whether or not I truly love God? How do I know? How can you know if you love the Lord, uh, that you are actually in his saving grace, I think that uh, one of the things that we've been doing over the last few weeks and going through this God of Light series is actually learning something about that. And it may be weird that we kind of go past the day of Christmas and continue on in Advent, uh, but there's a really good reason for this. And I think that it is plain in the reading of this text from Revelation chapter 21, and that's this. Christians live in God's glorious city of light. Christians, you, Christian live in God's glorious city of light. You may recognize a few of those words from the actual text. What I need for us to know before we kind of jump into all of this is that we want to take a look at this last kind of God of Light series sermon, look back from where we have come over the last few weeks. I want for us to exposit just parts of this text. It's really too wonderful. It's too big to try to get all the way into this morning. But I want for us to pull a few things and exposit some of that out. So just examining the text. And then I want to spend some of our time this morning actually applying the gospel in this way. So for us to kind of look backwards in this God of Light series, we started uh, without light. We started in darkness, and we learned that God spoke and light came into being. So we went from darkness into light. We looked and we saw that the light actually creates life, that there is this light of life that Christians can live in. We also looked at how the uh, sun actually rose on us. It uh, dawned, if you will, and it is unconquerable. It won't ever go away. The sun of God's kingdom will never set, okay? And then now we are looking square in the face of uh, the last two sermons being that the glory of God's light is actually in Jesus's face, but that we also live in a city of his light that's actually coming from his face. So in the beginning, God created light, and then he filled all of his creation with his light. And he, he created two specific things. He created the sun and the moon, the greater light to rule over the day and the lesser light to rule over the night. But he gave those things as light-bearing instruments for this world that we live in. So he gives us this light from the very beginning, and then God gives us his light to actually own. Jesus actually claims to be the light, and that the followers of him actually have it. We own it. 
Then the sun has dawned in the incarnation, and darkness cannot overcome, it cannot defeat the light, and then that all of those who continue to live in darkness need just to get a glimpse of Jesus' face, because that's where the light is. So that, that kind of brings us all the way to the present. So the light of Jesus has come. It is raining now. It will never set. But what does this actually mean for us, both in the present, but then forevermore? What does it mean that this light has come? I want to focus on a few things from Revelation chapter 21 to help us understand this God of light. Look at verses uh, 9 and 10. I'm going to reread those this morning so that we can kind of deal with them in a deeper way. It says, uh, come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And this angel then carries John away in the Spirit it's interesting because every time that anybody gets like carried away to go see something really marvelous, even Jesus himself, they're carried away in the spirit, okay? So John is carried away in the spirit to a great high mountain, and the angel showed me the holy city of Jerusalem coming down out from heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like jasper, clear as crystal. So we see this holy city. In the very end times, we see this holy city having the glory of God and its radiance like a most rare jewel actually descending onto this new earth. John is given a vision of this holy city of God descending, and its radiance is like a rare jewel. Now, it's interesting because jewels don't possess their own light. If you take a diamond, no matter how well cut, no matter how clear, no matter how excellently colored and cut, if you stick it in a dark room, it has no light of its own. You wouldn't even necessarily know that it was there unless you were to find it and like have it in your hands. But if you stick it in the sunlight, it breaks apart into all of these beautiful colors and it shines white, radiant light back out of its face. That's how you know if you've got a really, really good diamond. It's not even by the gratings and everything. It's whether or not it takes all of that light, turns it into white light, and then shines it straight back out. And this is exactly how The kingdom of God, this holy city, New Jerusalem, is described. It's like a rare jewel. It doesn't have light of its own. Okay, so this rare jewel, it doesn't possess its own light, but they gleam and they shimmer and they reflect light. And John says that the city has as its light like a rare jewel radiating something very specific. If you were to look just at this verse and see, what is is this light? What, What is its substance? Where is it coming from? If you had to name it based totally on this verse, what is the light of the city? Is it the jewels? No, it's not. It's the glory of God. It's God's glory that makes this city beautiful and radiant and shine. And and that's why it goes into all of this exquisite detail. It says, hey, uh, this whole city is just like a sapphire. It's like uh, jasper. It's like all of these really fine jewels that are finely cut. And here's what's really interesting. It says, the streets are like gold. It says it twice. The streets are like gold. But then it also says something that's very interesting. It says it was like transparent, like glass. You can almost just get this sense that John is like feeling around, using his very feeble language to describe something that is far too glorious, far too amazing. But what you need to understand is, is that this is a city, and it is transparent, and it is radiating all of this light, and it has uh, jewels and things like this that are actually reflecting that light. 
Now, you may be tempted like me actually to think, man, that sounds a little gaudy in some sense. I'm not sure that I'd like to like, move there and live there. This sounds like, like gold-encrusted things. If you ever come to my house, it's very opaque. It is not transparent. We do not live in a transparent house. It's not made of jewels or anything. It's made of stone and wood, and you can't see through the walls. It's nothing like that. That's kind of the aesthetic that I like. But here's what's wonderful about this. Jesus, the architect, has built this city in such a way that it is to reflect what? It's to reflect the glory of God. That's why Christians live in God's glorious city of light. Jesus is the one that's radiating, emitting all of this light. His glory is actually shining in this transparent, beautiful, jewel-encrusted, jewel-founded city, and you can see through everything so that you can see Jesus. That's the kind of city that John is describing here. John then describes the jewel-encrusted foundations of the walls and the gold streets and these, these gates where every gate is like a gigantic single pearl. And there's 12 of them. And evidently these pearly gates, that's where this comes from. It's not even pearly, it's like pearl gates. Like it's one gigantic pearl. What does that look like? I have no idea. John's trying to describe it and it sounds pretty marvelous. And it's there, and you can go in to this city through the gates. But it's not just what the city has that makes it interesting to me. It's what it doesn't have. Let's pick back up in verse 22, and let's read through verse 25. He says this, And I saw no temple. So it's interesting the things that it has, but now it's telling us what it didn't have. I saw no temple in this city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. The city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. For by its light will the nations walk, and the kings of earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there." Man, that's interesting. It's interesting to note what is there, but it's even more interesting in some ways to note, I saw no temple. John is saying there's no temple in the middle of this city. There's no need of sun or moon to shine anymore because there's no night there either. Let's, let's take each one of those things on their own. There will be no need for a splendid temple like Solomon's temple, for the Almighty is everywhere in this city. You can see him everywhere. So if you lived uh, as a Jew in those times uh, where Solomon's splendid temple would have been uh, gold-encrusted and there would all of these things had very precise measurements to communicate something about God, and if you were a Jew, if you lived in Jerusalem, you would go to the temple. You would have priests that were allowed into certain areas of the temple to make sacrifices at the temple. Why? Because God was there. He was in the Holy of Holies. And there were all of these ceremonies and symbols and things where you went to the temple. But this new city, this holy city, this Jerusalem, it's nothing like that. There's no temple in it. Why? There's no need of a temple. You can see God from everywhere. There is no holy of holies because the entire city has become the place where God resides. More on that just here in one moment. There's no need for any temple in the midst of this. 
If you read God's instruction on Solomon's constructing of that temple, you'll see almost this appetizer, as it were, for these sets of verses in Revelation chapter 22, where God's city doesn't have a need for any of that because God dwells with his people. There's no need to build a radiant temple because God's glorious presence is everywhere in New Jerusalem, in this holy city of light. In Genesis, God created the greater and the lesser light, the sun and the moon, to rule over the day and the night. He created these so that we can see, but they also are doing something in terms of ruling. But now, in Revelation chapter 21, there's no need. There's no need of a sun. There's no need of a a, a moon. All of the stars have fallen from heaven. Why? Because there's no need of them. God's radiant glory lights up the entire city. It's transparent, and so his beams of glory go out into every nook and cranny. There's no need of a sun or moon to rule. Why? Because God's glory rules in God's city. As a consequence, there is no night. It says literally there's no night. This is similar to the way that it says there's no sea. I think literally that there is not like necessarily oceans and seas on this remade heaven and earth. Uh, We're told that. I think that it's also symbolic in a sense because the sea always uh, represented chaos. And God is not a God of chaos. God says go out and cultivate and create order in his creation. And there's no sea anymore. And similarly, there's no night. Now, I think that it says that there's no night because there's literally no night in heaven. There's just all radiance all the time from God. What a wonderful, marvelous thing. But here's the other thing. I don't think that it's just literal. I think that there's something symbolic about John saying that there is no night. I think it's figurative. No night means that there's no loneliness there in heaven. So, so for those of us who have spent entire seasons of our lives kind of going back to an empty apartment, uh, retreating into an empty bedroom, for those of us who uh, have to lay alone in bed at night, there's no night in heaven. There's no isolation. That's, that's just, for some of us we go, oh, okay. For others of us we go, what glory there is in heaven that there's no isolation there, no loneliness. It says that there's no night. That means that there's no opportunity for you to uh, be lonely and isolated in the midst of darkness or depression. There's not going to be any of that. When it says that there's no night, it means there's no opportunity for night to kind of fall on you. For those of us who maybe don't struggle necessarily with isolation or depression, we struggle with years and years of hidden sin, I would, I would propose to you that in this transparent city of light, there's no place to escape. There's no darkness to go to, to kind of feed any kind of dark or evil, sinful desires. It sounds weird saying it out loud a little bit, but man, there's not going to be an opportunity for sin. Why? Because you're always in God's presence. He's there. He's there with you. You can see him. There's no room. There's no darkness. There's no hiding place for there to be sin in your life anymore. So when God says there is no light through John, when he reveals there is no night, that means that there's no Darkness, there's no exploitation, there's no sin, there's no uh, languidness, no depression, no loneliness, no isolation. Ultimately, Revelation chapter 21 describes a new heaven and earth as this big cubic city 
of transparent, wonderful things where you always get a good look at the face of Jesus. If you've ever wondered or like just wanted for the face of Jesus, in heaven you will always get a glimpse of him and his glory, his radiance. This is an amazing, wonderful place. In John 14, Jesus says this, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God and believe in me also. In my Father's house, there are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself so that where I am, you may be also. That's God's promise to you. That's Jesus just whispering to you. Listen, in my Father's house, there are many wonderful, glorious, jewel-encrusted, transparent rooms where you will be with me forever. Now, now here, I want you to get this, okay? In six days, Jesus created everything that we see. Every atom in this universe, in six days, he created it. And he spent the last two millennia going to prepare a place for you. And John gets this glimpse of just what the foundations and the walls and the streets and the roads and all of these things looks like. And he can't even describe it. It's all condensed into a, a few short, brief verses. But he's saying, the place that Jesus is making for you is glorious. It's amazing. It's beautiful. It defies explanation, but there is light there. Man, if we really internalize that Jesus has gone to prepare a place for us and that Revelation chapter 21 shows us the thoughtful care that Jesus put into his city of light, I am just going to guess that if you had a really wonderful, light-filled Christmas, that this truth of Christians living in a city of light can go with you out into the rest of the year and into a new one. This is amazing news. This is why we chose to continue on and talk about this God of light because it does not end at the incarnation of Jesus Christ. It's only the beginning, and now we're getting a glimpse not of the end but of eternity to come. Jesus is a heavenly architect meticulously designing our forever home and he promises to come back. Hey, hey, he promises to come back to get you and to bring you to the place that he will be forever. Golly, I mean, that is just astoundingly good news. When, when these set of verses say, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, he will dwell with them and be their God, and God will dwell with you as his people. This is not some fairy tale land, okay? When we read Revelation, can we be honest? We read it like it's some sort of like Tolkien novel, that it's just not really ever going to be, but this set of verses is describing where you will spend eternity. Have you ever read it like that? Have you ever read, like, this is not some figment of your imagination. It's a place you will go. It's a place that you will see. You will see the gates of pearl. You will see the streets of transparent gold. You will be able to touch and realize what what exactly are these jewels. You will be able to see the face of Christ. You will do that with your eyes. Christians 
dwell in God's glorious city of light. What does this have to do with our present city? It's easy for us to go, man, that is great news for them. But it's harder necessarily for us to look at these words from Revelation chapter 21 and know what to do with them now, okay? So I've got a couple of very brief, actually, this morning, very brief application points, okay? I want for us to understand how this eternal truth actually impacts our present reality. And so here's what I want for you to take away with you this morning, is that God's glorious city of light tells us something about your city. It tells something about your city. Then it also tells us something about the city. And then it also tells us something about our city, okay? Now, I know that that's confusing, so let me, let me explain all of this, okay? It tells something about your city. All of us, every single one of us has a little tiny city. Do you know that? All of us have some little sphere of influence, It can be our family that we just spent some time with. It can be our sons and daughters. It can be our friends. It can be the place where we spend time in our vocation. But I guarantee you, no matter how small that little city gets, all of us have a little city that we're called to actually cultivate, to uh, work for, to actually bring up, to bring order into. For most of us, that is our family. So here's the question that I want to ask you this morning. What's at the center of your city? Revelation 21 tells us that God's glory is at the center of the eternal city of light. What's at the center of your city? If you look at your home, if you look at your friendships, if you look at the office that you go to, the school that you spend time in, if you look at your little city, what is at the center of your sphere of influence, your little city? What is it that lights it up? Can I be so bold this morning and just tell you that for most of us, the light in our city comes from little flickering screens? That's the truth. Like, the truth is is that if you want to look, so what is lighting up my city? If you want to take a look at the time and where you spend money, a lot of it just revolves around these, like, little flickering screens. You can drive down the road at night and you can see in each house if they have drapes that aren't like, you know, closed, you can see that most people have screens and they're flickering and that's what's lighting up their houses. It's kind of depressing, to be honest with you. And I don't stand up here as somebody who doesn't have that as their reality. I have a little screen. I have several of them sitting right here and they're just flickering and they're lighting up my little city These screens flicker with entertainment and shopping and trivial games, and consequently, our cities are really dimly lit, and they're intermittently distracting little places for us. They're places of distraction. I don't want that to be true for me. I don't want that to be true for you. I think that we all realize some of just the dimness that is there, And we long for a lot more. We want for there to be a lot more meaning. And so we get a little bit dry. We get a little bit, we feel a little bit far. Our city feels a little small. It feels a little too dark. Ephesians 5 says this. At one time you were in darkness, but now you are in the light of the Lord. Walk as children of light. When Ryan asked me yesterday, how, how do I know? 
how, how do I know if I truly love the Lord? Here's, here's the answer. It's one answer to that. It was found in the letter that I wrote her. It's what do you value? What, what's at the center of your little city? What's, the, what's lighting it up? What do you value? Are you going to God's word? What do you trust? Do you trust the words that are there? Do you hear God's promises and believe them? Is your heart illuminated by the things that God has said to you? What is it that is at the center of your city? Here's what all of us know, but that we need to learn together, is that we need to put Jesus and his glory right at the center of our cities. Here's another truth about this. If you're wondering, well, okay, I get that, but how can I do that? Here's the second point, and it's about the city. We can do this together. It's not just about you and your little tiny city. It's about the city that we are building here at the city church. So when I said, hey, uh, Jesus and God's glory actually needs to be at the center of your city, now I'm talking about Jesus and God's glory need to be at the center of the city, the city church. Here's the truth. I've mentioned this before, not in love with the name of our church. It was something that was kind of handed down. It's taken on different forms and different meanings. Here's the truth, though. I've really gained a new appreciation for seeing our church in light of its name and understanding that there is a one, eternal, holy, light-filled city. But here at City Church, we can actually do that together, too. We can be a city on a hill God's glory it has to be at the center of the city church. And, and if I can this morning, I want to talk to the members of city church. Not to exclude the non-members of city church, but to give you a more accurate understanding of like who we are, what we're wanting to do. I want to speak directly to the members of city church. Revelation 21 says this, there was no need of a temple there was no need of a temple. Why? Because God's presence was already there. Now, that's hard for us to understand in this already inaugurated but not yet fully realized kingdom of light that we live in right now because we're, it's not fully revealed. Jesus' kingdom is already here. It's already finished. It's already inaugurated, but it's still that veil is slowly being pulled back. So my question to you is, is can we as Christians think in terms of not needing a temple? Not needing a place to meet God, not needing a place to worship God. I see so much, especially now, especially today, this kind of reaction to like, hey, you know, just because you go to church doesn't mean that you're saved. That's true. That's true in like a technical sense. But I'll tell you what, that tradition, that celebration, that repetition, that habit of coming here to meet with God to be with God, to have God's light shine into our hearts is really vitally important. It's really important. And so I want to encourage you that we need to worship. Worship uh, helps us place God's glory at the center of our little cities. And so can I be so bold as we head into a new year just to tell you that we are wanting, we are praying, we are working here at the City Church for more glory. That's what I want. That's what I hope for. That's what I hope that we will find together. I 
I want to see more glory. I want to see more of God's shining light in our worship services. That's what I'm going to be bold about this morning, this and a few other things. I want you to know that, like, I am not satisfied with the way that we meet with God, okay? I'll just be really bluntly honest with you. It's not that anybody or any one person or me or our lead team is doing anything wrong. It's that I really want to see more glory put at the center of our church so that people can come, and when they come, they see the bright light. So I want to challenge you this morning. I want to challenge those of you who are online or those who may be picking this up through the rest of the week. I want you to come here expectant. Can I be so bold in just saying, hey, I want you to be on time. It's such a small thing. I know that it is. I know that for many of us today, we were here on time. But we're not a church that typically gets here on time. And here's what I think. I think that tells us something, a little bit of something about what we actually expect to find here. I think that if on a weekly basis we were communing with the God of this universe, if we were being illuminated by his light, if we were seeing this week in and week out, I think that people would be like knocking down the doors to get in here. I really do. And it's not about like church growth or any of these things. It's simply about what are we doing here together? Are we putting the glory of God at the center of the city Are we putting it in the center of our little cities and bringing that into this gathering, this city? I just want to call us to be a little bit more intentional in the new year about being here, coming here, expecting, praying for our gatherings. As we feast I want you to come and to meet with people. The the truth is, is that we're going to have 12 feasts this year in this room. We're going to have 12 feasts as one big family. And it would be easy for us to go, great, free meal. This is awesome. This is a great opportunity. It is a great opportunity. It's a great opportunity for you to cultivate uh, light in your little city and bring that into the fellowship of the larger gathering of the saints and for us all to be illuminated by what the Spirit is doing in your life. I want you to be intentional with those feasts. As we have a a few more sing opportunities this year, we're going to be gathering in a beautiful place to sing beautiful and intentionally prepared songs. We're going to have the opportunity to actually gather together and actually put the glory of God at the center of our city. This year, we probably had like an average of like 12 to 15 people at these gatherings, especially if you don't count the people that we're having to like put it on. If you can, prioritize that. I understand people are working. I understand a lot of different things. If you're wanting to head into the new year and to put God's glory at the center of your city, if you're wanting to participate as this city and put the glory of God here, consider coming to those. They're really good. They're the best thing that we're doing that the fewest people are taking advantage of. I want for you to go into your discipleship groups and carry, be a light bearer into those spaces. Don't just be complacent about a little bit of a meal, a little bit of a conversation. Go in there and sharpen one another. Bring light to bear in one another's lives. Let me ask you this. Are you waiting? I get the sense that some people in our church are kind of waiting. They're waiting to see if the dial gets turned up. They're waiting to see if we kind of come into the new year. They're waiting to see if we can find a new pastor or if we can make our budget in a particular way or if we can add 
you know, city students in a way that is like really, really helpful. I get the sense that some people are waiting, so I want to ask you this morning, are you waiting? Are you unsure about city church? Are you apathetic? Are you passive? If you are, can I be bold this morning and tell you, if you're waiting and wondering, go somewhere else. I I know that that is like, man, that's pretty heavy, but I am serious. I want for City Church to be a place of God's glory and light. And apathy, waiting, these kinds of things, they don't help us do that. So I'm just going to be bold and, and, and just tell you this is my desire is the light at the center of the city. Are you wanting? Are you desirous? Are you expectant? Are you ready to activate? Then here's what I want to tell you. Come on, let's do it. Let's do it together. Let's expect it. Engage, find a place, especially if you're one of the guys that went through the uh, men's leadership cohort and everything, find a place to serve. There are very few places in this church that are like off limits. I mean, you know, there are very few. Do it. Help out. Come on time, sing loud, go deep in your discipleship groups, meet with people for lunches, love on other people, serve. We need you to serve, we need you to engage, we need you to sell out, we need you to love well. Don't expect the glory of God in the city without trying to put just some of the uh, God-ordained, spirit-enabled, truth-saturated parts of your life to bear on this body. I want to call you to it this morning. I want God's glory to be at the center of your city. I want it to be at the center of the city so that it can be at the center of our city, Fort Worth. So here's the last point, very briefly. It's easy for us to uh, forget about or to give it too short of time, but here's the truth. Our city has over 900,000 people in it, and my expectation is, is that many of them are perishing. They're one heartbeat, one breath away from eternity in hell. And we can try to like coax ourselves into like uh, not believing that or getting distracted by that or saying, no, 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 that's not at the center of the gospel. Here's what I'm telling you. That's what scripture says and we need to be deathly serious about it. And so if we can cultivate light and glory in our little cities and in this city, my goal is for us as a church to be evangelizing that light, for carrying it into the rest of the city God's glory has got to be at the center of our city. There are 900,000 people plus that are needing the light of God's glory in their lives. Go and tell them about it. Bring the light to bear in their lives if God enables you to do that. I want to send you out with one final word. If you would, please stand for this. This is Jesus' words to you about being the light. Okay, so don't receive this as like a pastor saying this. Imagine Jesus Christ saying this to you. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Bow with me in prayer. God and Father, we desperately want to see 
our little cities, our little spheres of influences, our family, our friends, our uh, office spaces, our schools filled up with light. Lord, would you help us to be good workers, good light bearers into those spaces, that we would be intentional, that we would work in the midst of uh, traditions and institutions that are helping to bring your light to bear there in our little cities. Father, I pray that you would fan into flame uh, a bright light, a bright flame in those places, Lord. And then I pray that you would help us uh, go from those tiny little cities and uh, carry that flame back into the city church. And Lord, that we would gather around a fire of your word, the fire of the spirit and the light of the spirit that is in every believer that is a part of the city church. And that the city church would be a place where there is light. Father, I pray that you would help for city church to be a place that illuminates, that shines your light, that we would each and every one of us be like a diamond reflecting your glorious light, Lord, to one another, but then also to the city. Lord, would you give City Church a unique, albeit small, but a unique ministry in the city such that the city of Fort Worth could be a place where there is light, great light. Lord, I pray that you would help the light of Christ that is in us, not to be hidden. And Lord, that you would help us to go out and tell others about it so that there may be more light, that there may be more redeemed peoples in heaven, in this glorious city of light. Father, I praise you for the good truth that Christians live in your glorious city of light. I hope, I ask, I plead that you would help us take that into uh, 2022 and Lord, that we would not forget it. Lord, illuminate us. 